First John chapter 1. This is a um, series we'll continue through on in the summer as we take a break from Genesis. And it's called Assurance because that's why John writes this letter. He wants to assure Christians that the salvation they have been given is legitimate and that they truly have it. Pretty relevant because when I was in high school, definitely in junior high, but when I hit high school, I was still not assured of my salvation. At, at the Harvest Crusades, every single year that we went, that um, the youth group went, I would like say the prayer desperately every time I heard it. Because I just wanted, I wanted to know I was a Christian. And I doubted so much. Until I would say my sophomore year, um, I felt like I then felt assurance that I was saved, but it took a long time. And so I think this is a very relevant topic in this book for a lot of us, especially this age group, where there's just that whole, like, I really want to be saved, but how do I know that this whole deal has really happened? How do I know that I am one of the ones? So that's going to be addressed as we go through these next couple weeks. So let's read First uh, John chapter 1, verse 5, and we'll end at 2, verse 2 this evening. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If, on the other hand, we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is definitely not in us. My little children, chapter 2, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, a defense attorney, if you will, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So, God, I pray that you come and illuminate your majesty here, that we can see light, and that we would be those that walk in light. And God, for those that have the nature that hate the light right now, come and draw them by your Holy Spirit to walk with you in the light where we can see clearly. And Father, if there are any vague and dim visions of you represented here in hearts, God, I pray your light would come and cast those shadows out that we can see you as you really are without the shadows of religion and any other things that skew our perspective of you. So give us clarity. Bring us light, we pray in your Son's name. Amen. So, John here is writing because children of the devil, whom he refers to as antichrists, good name for them, over in chapter 2, verse 18, these little antichrists have run around with lies from the lecture halls of Satan, the devil's doctrine, the devil's theology. They're going around the churches and making Christians insecure about the message they heard from John himself about Jesus. 
They first received salvation, the basic traditional teaching of Jesus Christ that he was God in human flesh and he went to the cross and really died for the sins of the whole world and resurrected from the grave on the third day. And by putting your faith in him, your, his righteousness is put in you and you are saved. But these teachers were going around and telling Christians otherwise, things that they hadn't quite heard. It sounded good. It sounded somewhat true, but the problem is it wasn't completely true. And there was confusion in the church. And John would have noticed this as he went on his circuit through the churches that he was overseeing, namely Ephesus and all the churches around that area. He noticed this confusion. He heard these antichrists, and he wanted to write not to prove a point like Paul does. Paul writes to prove that justification is by faith alone in Romans. But in John, he's not writing to prove a point like that. He's not trying to advance an argument. Very different from Paul's style, he's simply writing to spread out a criteria of what a Christian is. So that the readers can look at this spread on the table and say, I definitely fit these things, therefore I conclude I'm a Christian. Or, I fit some of this, I don't fit this, I'm concerned. Or, I fit none of this, I need to get saved. That's his goal, is to set sort of like a test, if you will, to, to align yourself with it to see, how do I match up? So that's the question as we read First John, is how do I match up with what John says? And if we match up great, then you have assurance. If you don't match up very well, then you don't have assurance of your salvation. So, one clarification, however. Just because you're hearing the words of 1 John, just because you're learning them, you're reading them, just because you're going to understand the words does not give you assurance. Alright? Assurance proves that something exists. You are saved, assurance comes and confirms that, says, yep, that's salvation, you're good. But just by hearing the words of salvation doesn't mean that you can sit here and say, I'm assured because I understand it all. You need to be saved first, and then First John comes along and says, yes, everything's going good. He's there. He's like the cheerleader, saying, you're right on track. Keep going. So don't think that by going through this and sitting here, you're gaining salvation. You have to have it, and then you're going to be assured of it. So that important clarification. If you don't even know if you're a Christian, don't think you've ever um, really thought about it before, now is the perfect time. If you just ask Jesus to forgive your sins and to give you his Holy Spirit. You can just do that right now while I'm blabbing about whatever I'm about to say for the next second. Good, we're all saved. No, I hope. It's my prayer that we are. So, why assurance? Why is assurance important? Well, like I said, for me, it was a torment, a tormentuous time while I was doubting my salvation. It's just horrible not knowing and just longing to just want... I, I would live... And in my ears, Satan would always be whispering lies. For example, let's say I'd be comparing myself with other people in the youth group. Well, I'm not as passionate in worship as they are. I must not be saved. Or I would sin, and Satan would just slam it on me. He would just hammer that nail into my heart and say, Christians don't do that. And I would feel so down. It's a miserable time. So assurance is important because assurance, as John said, we looked at two weeks ago, in verse 4, he says, I'm writing these things, we can insert, I'm giving you assurance, so that our joy may be complete. Having assurance gives you joy. 
You don't have to sit there and doubt. You can go on in boldness. Um, secondly, in chapter 2, verse 26, I write these things, give you assurance, about those who are trying to deceive you. So he wants us to be informed Christians who won't be deceived. And lastly, in 5, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know, insert assurance, so that you may have assurance that you have eternal life. So, that's why John's writing. Now, assurance. Do you guys ever see that commercial? I don't even remember what it's for. But they were in an airplane, about to jump off skydiving, and um, the green light goes, which means they're supposed to jump off the plane. And the guy's terrified. He's sitting there holding on, and he's looking down, he's like, I, I can't do this. And the, the instructor's over there, he's got like crazy hair, he's like one of those surfer, like chill back guys, like you're not really sure if you can trust them. And he goes, just do it, man, just jump. And, and he looks over in panic and says, but how do I know that my chute was packed right? Are, are you sure it was packed right? And he says, I think so. <laughs> jump. And then he's like this look of horrors on his face, and then he goes out of the plane and it cuts out. And I think that that's so appropriate of why we need assurance, because here we are on the airplane of life, and death is looming for all of us. So when we jump out of the airplane of life, I want to know that when this time ends, that my parachute's definitely going to open. I want to know, I want to have assurance that I'm going to land safely in the arms of Christ and not in the arms of hell. So that's why assurance is important. We don't want, I want anybody here jumping off the plane of life blindfolded, unsure about their parachute. We're going to land safely. So, that's why I see it as important. So, as we go through the book, I'm gonna, it's basically, I'm slicing the book in half. Two basic parts. The first part wants to say, you can have assurance of eternal life if you love Jesus. Second part will say, you can have assurance of eternal life if you love others. In fulfillment of what Jesus himself said. Here's the greatest commandment. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is just like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. John takes those two and says, if you have those two qualities, you have assurance. Now, does it really take him five chapters to write about that? Yes. Because it's very important that we understand what it means to love Jesus. What it means to love other people. We're not talking about warm feelings and affections and admiration. And John's going to make that crystal crystal clear. So we're going to take each of his little sections at a time and discover for the first half do we love Jesus? If we do, we're going to meet these conditions. Alright? So the first one is as we're going to see tonight you can have assurance of eternal life if you walk in the light. Christians walk in the light. And if you walk in the light, you know that you love Jesus. So, because this is important, we're going to have to define what it means to walk in the light, and then we're going to look at how we walk in the light, okay? So, what does it mean to walk in the light? Interestingly, the passage that we read, every odd verse explains what it means to walk in the light, while every even verse explains what it means to walk in darkness, the antithesis of walking in the light. Um, probably coincidental. I don't know if there's anything odd about that or 
If it was intentional that they're evenly divided that way? You like that corny one? Side note real quick. Um, yes, our verses and our chapter divisions are all man-inserted, so there's nothing inspired about them. So I, that's why I say coincidental. Odd verses talk about the light. Even verses talk about the darkness. So let's, let's peruse those real quick. Let's look first at what it means to walk in darkness. Verse 6. What? We find that when we walk in darkness, we live in a lie. It says, if we say we have fellowship with Him while walking in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So when we walk in darkness, we live in a lie. We do not practice the truth. Verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So when we walk in the darkness, we deceive ourselves. Look at verse 10. If we say we walk, or if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So by walking in darkness, you are a liar. And the truth is not in you, which I take to mean God's word, because that's what verse um, 8 said. Or the truth. The truth and God's word are synonymous. So that's what it looks like to walk in darkness. By those hints, I conclude that walking in darkness is basically living in the lie of deceit. Because here he says, you're not walking in truth. You deceive yourself. You're in darkness. So... By walking in darkness, we're living in the lie of deceit. And this deceit comes from sin. So the deceit of sin will lead us away from the light. Think about what darkness does. It totally confuses us everywhere that we walk. Um, you can't see the low-hanging branch. You can't see the log in front of you. You can't see the cliff next to you. And you can't see the puddle that you're about to walk into. Just like me and my buds back in the day, junior high, when we had a house over on, um, you guys know where Fairview is, of course. We had one of the homes along Fairview. And some of you guys might know that Fairview is pretty much the perimeter of the mountain. Past Fairview is all national forest all the way to the desert. And we had a house there. So my backyard went all the way to the desert. And I felt like Daniel Boone and Davy Crockett and Johnny and I would go like explore the wilderness and mark our territory and trailblaze. <laughs> and <laughs> you can take that however you want to take it. <laughs> well, one night we thought it'd be adventurous. We were having a sleepover with a bunch of guys. And as we were walking, um, we couldn't see a thing. You have to be manly. No flashlights. That's, that's for woodses and girls. So we're stumbling our way along the road. And back there, there's a bunch of fire access trails where basically the fire department uses these trails. They're not paved. They're just wide lanes in the woods for trucks to go on. And we're walking down those. And um, all of a sudden, someone who's ahead of us, we just hear him go, Oh, no! And we hear water. And are like, Oh, dear. And he comes back, and he's wet, like up to his waist. Because there was a puddle of water in the road. And... We couldn't see that. You couldn't see it at all. And that's what happens when you walk in darkness. You're, you're completely deceived. And sin leads us away from the path of light where you can see clearly and it deceives you. It brings you down into this place where you can't quite figure out where you're going. It's exactly what verse 6 says. It 
says, if we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Basically, you are deceived. You claim that you're with Jesus, but you're in the darkness. You're with something else. You just can't see it. Because the darkness has totally, totally blinded you. When we walk in darkness, you're just, you just can't see God. Jesus said in Matthew 5.8, The pure in heart see God they're walking in light. John chapter 3 verse 20 Jesus says everyone who does wicked things sin, hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. See that? Light shows you stuff. Darkness hides stuff. So walking in darkness is no place for a Christian. So sin the deceit of sin will lead you from the light to the darkness and the denial of your sin is going to keep you there. Alright, this comes out in verses 8 and 10. So if we say, verse 8, that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. See that in verse 8 and 10? There's this denial of sin. John is addressing the Antichrist and their message and saying, look, if we say we have no sin, if we say we do not sin, we lie. And the truth isn't in us. In other words, denying your sin is going to keep you in darkness. So, when I sin, you know what, I should explain. No, let's do that in a second. When I sin, I veer off the path of light and go into the path of dark. And when I deny that I sin, I stay on that path of darkness. So, logically, there's a way to get back to the light. And that's simply to say, I sinned. You see, you're walking as Christians. We come to the light. We're saved. We're walking there as Jesus. There's another path here. And the way to jump over to the path of darkness, which is here, is called sin. It's a little bridge. Sin will take you from the path of light to the path of darkness. So when every time I sin, I go more and more to the darkness. And the further I sin, and the more I sin, the deeper I'm getting into the darkness. Now, the way to get back to the path of light, there's another bridge. And that bridge is called confession. So as I'm walking in darkness and I realize things are getting darker and I'm not seeing God as clearly, I'm not even understanding my own actions and I have confusion, that's the time to say, whoa, I've sinned, I'm going to confess, and it brings you right back over to the path of light. So this is how we get back to the light, is through confession. Now, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, so let's discover what it means to walk in the light, okay? Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says that we are... Well, let's read it. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So we know we're walking with God when we're walking in the light. We know we're walking with God because God is light. If you're walking with God, you're walking in light. Pretty simple. Verse 7. But... If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So, if you're walking in the light, you're having fellowship with God's people. 
If you're walking in the darkness, you're not really keen on being with God's people. Verse 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So walking in the light means that you confess sins. And then finally, in 2 verse 1, it says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So, walking in light means that you sin less. The way I see it, walking in darkness is living in the lie of deceit, as we've already established. But walking in the light is the opposite. It's walking in open, honest truth. Walking in the lie of deceit, walking in open, honest truth. So, this does not mean that we act without sin. You can walk in the light and still sin. What this simply means is that we see things differently. As verse, um, verse 7, check this out. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses, present tense, cleanses us from all our sin. Verse 2. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing to you these things so that you do not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. You see that? Verse 7 said, His blood cleanses us, present tense, which means we're still in the act of sinning. 2, verse 1 says, But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate. So, Although 2.1 said that walking light means you do not sin, I write the scene so that you don't sin anymore, it doesn't mean you're not going to sin at all. It just means you're going to see sin differently. That's what we're going for. We're still going to sin, but we're going to see sin differently. And this is how we see it differently. We see our sin and we realize, I can't be like this. I don't want to hide this from God anymore. I don't want to live in this state anymore. So therefore, I'm going to confess it. Light gives sight. So that when I sin and I'm walking in the light, I notice, I'm so used to light, I notice the minute, the littlest amount of darkness sets in because I sin. I can sense that darkness. I can't see things as clearly. And it makes me say, i got to get back to the light. Because I'm in love with the light. So... What walking in the light means is that we are participators of verse 9. That if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So walking in light doesn't mean we're never going to sin. It means that we see sin and we're open and honest and true with God about our sin. As Jesus said in John 3, those that walk in the darkness hate the light. They don't want to come to the light. So, how do we walk in the light? We know that walking in the light is to be an open, honest truth with God, but how do we walk in it? Well, it's, it's like I said, it's that simple that when you cross the bridge into walking in darkness, you take the other bridge of confession and get back into the light. Walking in the light simply means... Not that you're sinless. We're totally establishing this. I'm totally repetitive on this. It's not that you're going to be sinless. It's that you're going to confess your sin when you do sin. That's what verse 9 is showing us. That if we confess our sins, 
He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. So, as one who walks in the light, I'm going to sin, and then I'm not going to keep walking in darkness and keep hiding it, as John said, deceiving myself and saying, I haven't sinned. You're only going to plunge yourself further in darkness. Rather, you're going to stop and say, God, I've totally been lusting this week. I've totally been proud. I've totally been selfish. I've totally been cliquish and exclusive. It's admitting that to Him. And then it's amazing how you just, all of a sudden, the darkness flees and the light comes. So walking in the light has a condition. I know, we talk about grace and all, and that um, being saved has no conditions, it's totally an act of God, but walking in love with Jesus totally has conditions. You know you love Jesus if you walk in the light, and you're walking in the light if you confess your sins. So the condition for walking in the light is confession. Now, there's also a foundation to walking in the light. And this needs to be said because if you're like me, you're thinking in verse 9. So if we confess our sins, He is faithful to forgive them. I get that. We sung about His faithfulness. He's always going to forgive us. I get that. That's awesome. That's our faithful God. But what I don't get is how He is just to forgive our sins. Just means fair. In other words, that when I sin and God completely overlooks it and washes it away, John's saying that God is fair in doing that. How, how, how is it that I can go shoot Jesse in the head and then simply say, God, I confess my sin to you, and it says that he is faithful and fair. He's just, he's righteous to forgive that. How in the world can that be so when I don't have to be killed by God myself for that crime? Fairness means that if I steal, then it has to be repaid. What I stole has to be repaid. We have to make it fair. If I break your $500 iPad, I owe you $500. That's fair. What's not fair is I take your iPad and smash it and run over it with my car and say, you forgive me, right? And just move on. That's totally not fair. Someone has to pay that debt. And so when John says, all you got to do is confess your sin and you come back to the light and God's going to faithfully mean every time He's going to take you back and it's going to be fair for Him to take you back. I scratch myself and say, how can this be? That's where the foundation for walking in the light comes. It comes in chapter 2, verse 2, where it says, Jesus is the propitiation, note that word, for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He's the, pro the foundation of walking in the light is that Jesus is the propitiation. We, we build this condition of coming back to the light through confession upon the fact that Jesus is our propitiation. Um, insert that word with substitute, if you will. That's a more simple word for it. He's our substitute. Meaning, the unfairness of my coming back to the light simply by confessing was paid through Jesus on the cross. So that, that $500 bill for breaking the iPad, if you will for sake of illustration, was paid on the cross. So in other words, when I offend God, I don't have to pay Him back. Jesus paid it for me. And that's how it's just. That's how it's fair. That by simple confession, I cross the bridge from darkness into the light. You know how much you love Jesus, which again, 
Loving Jesus means assurance of your eternal life. You know how much you love Jesus by how you walk in the light. Walking in the light means you're open, honest, and true with God. I sin, God. I confess that. Rather than hiding it. I think of how often... It's that, that, I think that's one of the hardest things for us to get across our minds is that I can come to God tonight and completely spill my wickedness in front of Him and He doesn't grimace. He doesn't turn His face away. In fact, I wholeheartedly believe that the more I puke out my sin to Him, the closer He is to me. Because we're dealing with a God who needs nothing. We're dealing with a God who desires to fill us with His grace. And when we come saying, I'm destitute and need your grace, he is there to receive us that much closely. The Bible says that he resists the proud. He wants nothing to do with us when we're walking in self-righteousness. But he gives grace to the humble. He pours it out to the man who comes on his knees and bawling his eyes out and saying, I confess what I've done, even the smallest things. Jesus said to the Pharisees, who would never confess in this sense that we're talking about in humility, he said to them, the doctor came not for the healthy. You've got nothing to do with me because you claim you have nothing wrong with yourself. The doctor came for the sick. If you simply come and admit that you've got a cough, I can do something with you. But if you say you've got nothing wrong, I can't even touch you. Jesus is nearer to us in our confession than any moment. That's why I love that we get to take communion here every week. It's it's that time to just throw up my my soul before God and and just to come to that nearness, this table where He made it just and fair that I can say, I'm sorry, and He restores me to the light. One wise man in the youth call um, said, he taught for our camp, and he said this, I thought, so, I don't think this simply, so I thought this was golden, I'm going to steal it. He said, I know I love Jesus because every time I sin, I feel bad. He said, I don't feel that way when I sin against my parents. That's, that's, that's true. You know, I can, I can feel bad when I sin against my parents because I'm punished. But ultimately, that attitude I had against them, I, I hold it over them and say, you guys totally deserve that. But when it comes to Jesus and I sin, man, I feel it. Man, I'm sorry for it. And that's how I know that I'm a Christian. So, are we sensitive to darkness or are we totally okay with being in a little bit of darkness? Here's the danger. If we don't the minute we sense that we're in darkness, that we've sinned, and confess and come back to the light, what's going to happen is your eyes are going to adjust to the darkness you're at. And before you know it, you don't even know you're in darkness. We know this. We shut off the lights in here right now. Um, At first, you're not going to be able to read your Bible. You're not going to be able to really see things because we're used to the light. But if we sit here long enough, light from outside is going to filter in. Our eyes are going to adjust. I bet we could even read you know, trying, read the passage off of our sheets, off of our Bibles. That's the danger of not confessing our sin, is that when you're in that spot of darkness, suddenly it's not dark anymore. And then you can go a little further into darkness. And, without that being confessed, you're getting used to it once again. You can go a little further. And that's not the only dangerous thing, that you go gradually more and more. What's even more dangerous is that when you do see the light, it is an absolute affront to you. You ever um, watch a movie in broad daylight? Well, not in daylight, but during the day. You're in the theater, 
and then you come out and it's just wow the light is so bright and that's when we get too used to the darkness you're not going to want to come to Jesus in confession because the light is so offensive it's so blinding to you and so I think it is such a good habit for us especially to feel that assurance know we're walking light to every single day find our faults find our weaknesses and bring them to Jesus that he may draw near to us I don't think it's an accident that Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, which He told us to pray, at least the model of it, He said in the prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Every day I pray, God forgive me of this. And then He undergirds that by saying, and then ask God to lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from evil. That's throwing yourself at His feet, saying, Unless I hold on to you, Jesus, I will not be in the light. Daily we ought to pray this. Daily we ought to bring ourselves back to the light. Because our hearts love darkness. And we need, we need just that humiliating confession to bring us to Jesus every day. So, be not afraid of confession. He's faithful. He's just to forgive you. It's a promise in the Bible. That's the verse you guys have to underline. You have to memorize that verse. I repeat that one constantly to myself. Every time I feel unsaved because of something I did, oh, just bring myself back to the light, walking in open, honest truth with Jesus. So, let's pray. Father, we confess our sins to you specifically any that you've brought to our hearts during this study we want to we want you to draw near and take that from us we're sick we admit it father we need your medication we need your grace we need your touch we need your outpouring into our life father pull us from the darkness let us not get adjusted and used to being in such a place let the light not hurt our eyes, but may we be adjusted to seeing more and more light, more of your beauty, more of your face, and more of your glory. So Lord, bring us to the light and give us assurance as we walk with you in the light. May that we be open, honest, and true with you, not deceiving ourselves, not deceiving you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.